0: All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse, now don't do it just all the time, I mean you got to space it out, but Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12 through 18. Now again, it's always helpful as we study God's word to see where in God's story does this land. Remember we have four major parts of the story of the Bible, God's major story. Part number one is what? Right the very beginning creation that God creates he creates all things good he shows that he is the king and he makes all things simply by the word of his mouth he speaks them and they come into existence that's a pretty awesome God so the Bible starts with the awesome God who creates what's the second part of the story. The fall, right? Sin. You have Adam and Eve sin against God and all of their descendants walk in their footsteps and they also sin all the way up to now where we still do that, don't we? We're born. We're born in sin. You don't have to teach us how to do it. We're really good at it on our own and we sin even today. So you have the creation, which is good, God's holiness on display. Then you have humanity and they fall, they sin against God. What's the third part of the story? I heard it, redemption. Yeah, redemption, right? The Bible prepares us for the fact that God was going to redeem his people ultimately. And how was God going to redeem his people? He was going to send Christ and Jesus was going to come. And what was Jesus going to do to pay for us? He was going to die on the cross and then what? Right, because he can't stay dead. If he stays dead, he's no real savior. And so he has to rise from the dead, which he does. He's resurrected. He ascends to the Father. Yay, God has followed through on his promise to redeem his people. But yet, it's not all done yet, is it? Because there's a fourth part. What's the fourth part? There's a lot of different terms for it. Glorification is what I like to use because it speaks of the glory that is to come, right? What is going to happen when we are presented perfect before God at the return of Christ. That when Jesus comes again, all believers will be presented perfect to God and God's redemptive plan will be brought to its full culmination. And we will be again with God forever, perfect and pure. Aren't you excited? Okay, so you have creation, fall, redemption, glorification. That's the whole story of the Bible. Where does Ecclesiastes fall? Well, it's not creation, right? We're past that. Okay, we're we're into the fall already, because you get to Genesis 3, you're already in the fall. Have we gotten to redemption yet? Not fully, right? God has provided the sacrificial system, but we're not fully into redemption. Jesus hasn't come yet. So this book takes place in that fall area, right? Where humanity is rebelled against God and the promise of God is that there would come one who would ultimately redeem his people. You got me? So they were looking forward to when the Messiah was going to come, where we look back at the Messiah having already visited, correct? All right, so that's where we're at in the story. We're in the fall, right? And, and we're waiting. In Ecclesiastes, you're awaiting the coming of the Messiah, Now, here's my experience. My experience in life has been that seeking meaning in this life apart from God doesn't work. I don't know if it's been that way for you, but for me, especially when I was a freshman in college, finding meaning in life apart from God was not happening. I tried. I I figured, well, if I just get a good job right, if I just go, I finish my degree, get a good job, work in finance somewhere, uh, try to have a wife and some kids, right, try to, try to make money for myself, then I'll find meaning, right, then I'll, then I'll truly be happy. And then the more I think about it, the more I think I hate work. I hate, I hate everything to do with it. I hate the idea of having to go to work. I hate the idea of having to be answering to somebody. I just can't stand work, you know, and then you got to give me my paycheck because I was a good monkey and did what you said I was supposed to do, right? It's just this endless, tra- that's how I felt about, I don't feel that way now. I felt that way then. But trying to find meaning in life apart from God, I can tell you from my own personal experience, didn't happen. I was a freshman in college and I was miserable. Because everything I even tried to find hope in, didn't provide it. Maybe it would temporarily, but it wouldn't last. Because all you have to do is lose that job and then you're back in despair again. All you have to do is have that girlfriend walk away from you and then you're back in it again. All you have to do is have relationships fall apart and you're back in it again. And in that freshman year of college, I remember vividly feeling like it is pointless. Absolutely pointless. Can I help you? I think that's exactly how God intended I would feel about that. And the reason I say that is because I believe it's biblical. And I'm going to walk you through that. Because I have to imagine. I have to imagine. And please, somebody tell me if you've ever felt this way. Am I alone? Am I all by myself? And I'm the only one. Apart from God, the meaning is gone. And I think God intends for that to be the case. So, what I want to show you this morning from this text is that without God, the search for meaning in this life is troubling, empty, and frustrating. Troubling, empty, and frustrating. I think that's what the preacher tells us about the search for meaning in this life. So if you're taking notes, and you should take notes, right? Everybody open your notepads now because you were obedient little sheep and you brought your notepads. And if you didn't, there's one in the hallway. Go get it. But I want you to open your notebook up and I want you to put number one. Number one of what we see in this text in verses 12 through 18 is the king's capacity to test. The king's capacity to to test. This is important because if he's going to be the one doing the experiment, he needs to be able to do it right. If the king doesn't do the experiment right, then we're going to have to go up behind him and redo it. But I want to show you the king's capacity to test this search for the meaning of life apart from God. I want you to notice what he says in verse 12. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So why is the preacher the most qualified person to conduct the experiment of whether or not meaning in life can be found apart from God? Well, he's the king. If you're going to do the test, you can't be subservient to others because they might hinder your ability to do what you want. Okay. Everyone in this room, I'm assuming, would love to spend all day tomorrow in bed. I mean literally not getting out of bed, except maybe to use the bathroom and get something to eat. But then right back in there, right? You would love to spend all day. Oh, don't shake your head at me. I know deep down it's there. Deep down is the desire. You don't want to admit it in front of people, but deep down is, you would love to stay in bed all day. But you don't. You get up and do stuff. And the reason you get up and do stuff is because you're ultimately not in charge of you. Right? Because if you stay in bed all day, guess what your boss is going to do? He's going to hire somebody else who won't stay in bed all day. If you stay in bed all day, your spouse is eventually going to go, you got to get up. If you stay in bed all day, eventually your friends are going to come knocking at your door saying, it's pickleball time, why are you still in bed? You know why? Because you're ultimately not in charge of your life. You are answering to other people. And it keeps you from living out your dreams. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what the, key, the reason why this is important is because the king, the preacher, is telling you why he has the capacity to exercise this test to the fullest. You know why? Because he's the king and he don't answer to nobody. If he wants to do something, he's going to do it. Why? Because he's the king. So he shares with you that he's the king. He says, I have been the king over Israel in Jerusalem. So why is the preacher qualified? Because as king, he has the power to ultimately test and see if meaning in this life can be found. Because who's going to deny him anything? He has power in his position to do anything he so desires to. And I want you to notice also, he says, I have been king. What's that mean? means he didn't just start. He ain't new. He has been king for a while. So not only does he have the position of power, but he also was able to look back off of his experience, off of his days. Days bring wisdom. And so he says, I have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. The reason why the king has the capacity to exercise this test for you Is because he's the king. And just so you know, he doesn't need you to come follow up after him in case he missed something. Because just so you know, you weren't the king he was. He was able to do whatever he wanted. Whenever he wanted. And as such, he is the rightful person to try and find meaning in this life apart from God. Number two. Look at that. We're through point one already. Four minutes. Are you kidding me? Point number two. Not only does the king have the capacity to test if there's meaning in life apart from God, but the king has a commitment to test. So we see the king's commitment to test. Because it's one thing to have to do it because people made you do it. It's another thing if it's actually the desire of your heart to do it. Just so you know, the preacher is not telling you, I was forced to have to go see if I could find meaning in life apart from God. He was a willing, passionate participant in trying to find satisfaction in life apart from God. He says here, and, verse 13, and, so he's building on, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So not only did he have the capacity to seek out the meaning of life, but he had the commitment to do it. He said, I applied my heart to seek and to search out meaning. The king basically says he set his mind to do it. And listen, when you set your mind to do something, good luck having people talk you out of it. When you set your mind to something, you're like, I'm going to do this. And that's what he's saying. He says, I've set my mind on this thing. That's how it's translated in the New American Standard Version. And it points to concentrating his efforts towards the goal. And when someone gets their mind set on doing something, it means they will not give up the pursuit of that thing. And for the preacher, the pursuit is finding meaning in life under the sun. That is his priority, is I'm going to see if I can Find it. And I want you to notice that his commitment is marked by comprehensiveness. It is overwhelming. And we see it in two ways. Number, and it's, I think it's in the two words he uses to seek and to search out. Because to seek is the picture of investigating. I love investigating stuff. I I love investigating shows. I love shows where they investigate something, right? And when they investigate something, what they're doing is they're going deep into that issue, right? They're going to investigate it. They're not just going to do the surface level, oh, let me take a look at it. When you are seeking something, that's the picture of investigating. Like, I'm going to go deep in this issue. And so for the preacher, he says, I'm seeking out by wisdom all that's done under the sun. That means he is going deep. He's not just surface leveling it. He is going to plunge the depths of whether or not he can find meaning in life apart from God. And that is deep investigation. Number two, or, or B, we see the breadth of it. He says he set his mind to search out. That word carries the idea of exploring broadly. Like, like I'm not just going to take what's right here in front of me. I'm going to explore. I'm going to go out and find new So not only is he plunging the depths of it, but then he says he's covering the breadth of it. He'll go out and look at anything under the sun. This is comprehensive. He's not leaving anything out. And the king is the rightful person to do this because he can pursue whatever he desires to pursue. The preacher also tells us the means by which he's going to do this. He's going to seek and he's going to search out by what? Wisdom, he says. He says he's going to do this by wisdom. He, by the way, was uniquely qualified for this if it's Solomon. Right? Was there anyone who would be more uniquely qualified than Solomon when it came to exercising wisdom? Okay, let me remind you. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we're told that the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, ask what you wish me to give you. Y'all have been waiting for God to show up and do that, haven't you? You've been waiting for God to show up and say just ask me what you want. God shows up, the Lord shows up, ask Solomon, ask what you wish me to give you, and Solomon asked God for what? He asked God for understanding. That he might be able to tell the difference between right and wrong, that he might judge the people well whom God had placed him over. He wanted to be a good king for God's people. Now that's a good thing, right? And we're told that it pleased the Lord for him to act upon that. That the Lord was pleased with his request. And I want to share this with you. I'll read it to you because I don't want you just to take my word for it. But in 1 Kings chapter 3, this is what the Lord says. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. In thir- through 13, he says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies. By the way, I love the fact that God knows what we would really ask for, right? Uh, because you didn't ask for long life, right, to live forever, um, or, or riches, right, to be wealthy, or, or the life of your enemies. Kill, my, kill the people I hate. <laughs> because you didn't ask for those things, Solomon, he says, I'll give you What you've asked for. He says, but you have asked for yourself, understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Solomon asked for wisdom. Guess what? God gave him wisdom and gave him all the other things that he didn't ask for. Who else would be uniquely qualified to do the test to see if you could find meaning in life apart from God? He had everything. And he says, I do it by wisdom. Yet, we know from 1 Kings chapter 11 that later in Solomon's life, he turned away from the Lord, right? We see that. He turns away from the Lord. He chases after idolatrous relationships. He, he turns his back on the Lord. And as such, He's judged. And I think that Ecclesiastes 1 sets the context for all these things. He's pursuing wisdom as one who hasn't always done it right. But I want you to notice that for the preacher, the seeking and the searching mentioned here seems to be done not by godly wisdom, but by human wisdom. The word wisdom here doesn't necessitate, that means it's godly but instead it seems to be human wisdom. It's what man can achieve by his own mind. I want you to notice again before we move on, the comprehensiveness is is noted again. He says that he sought out by wisdom all that is done under heaven, not leaving anything out, but wanted to experience all that this life could offer, all that the world could give, everything under the sun. So we have the king's capacity to test. We have the king's commitment to test. And then thirdly, we have the king's conclusions to the test. Because that's what you want, right? Save me the experiment, just give me the results. Well, the preacher does. Because what we see in the verses following are the three major conclusions from the king's test to see if he could find meaning in this life apart from God. What are they? A, the search is troubling. He says he applied his heart to seek and to search out by, all, by wisdom all that's done under, the, under heaven. And then he says this, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What's his first conclusion? Trying to find meaning in life apart from God is troubling. New American Standard says it's a grievous thing that God gives for the children of men to be afflicted by. <laughs> What's the pursuit of meaning in life apart from God? It is an affliction. It is troubling. It is unhappy business, he says, or a sore travail, as the King James puts it. It's not a good thing. It is quite a difficult thing. It's a troubling business filled with affliction when one seeks to find meaning in this life apart from God. It is wearisome. It is a never-ceasing task of pursuit of purpose. But I want you to notice He says that this unhappy business is given. Who gives it? It's an unhappy business to pursue meaning in this life apart from God. But it was given, he says, to the children of men. I think there's only one person who could give it. God see God has created in every single one of us a desire a passion to want to know what is real and what is true God has given us minds that seek that out on a regular basis and I believe what God has put inside of us is that inner want to know what is really true. And so, but when it's apart from God, guess what it looks like? It looks like an unhappy business. It looks like a grievous task that's given because apart from God, it is left troubling. And yet, God knows how he created us. God knows And he he knows because we have minds, we'll be constantly thinking and planning, which will inevitably bring us to consider the meaning of all we do and see. God knows when he gave us a brain and a mind that we were going to use it, we were going to think and we were going to plan, and that eventually we'd come to grips with, what are we going for? What What are we aiming at? I actually believe it's the grace of God that he makes this an unhappy business apart from him. That we would be burdened and troubled trying to find meaning in life apart from him. That's his grace to us. And again, I remember my freshman year of college. I was spiritually ignorant concerning God and his purposes. This life looked like a bunch of trouble, a bunch of affliction that I had to work my way through to try to find some meaning in. guess what? That was created By God, in me, he put it in me, this desire to know and to want to figure out and to find meaning and purpose behind everything. By his grace, he didn't leave me to be apathetic, but he put in me a passion and desire to know what is real, what is true. And guess what? He put it in you, too. He put in you a desire to know. And he makes it an unhappy task when it's not connected to him and his purposes. Francis Schaeffer, theologian, said all men have a deep longing for significance, a longing for meaning. No man, regardless of his theoretical system, is content to look at himself as a finally meaningless machine which can and will be discarded totally and forever. No man wants to come to that realization. No man wants to, I don't care how atheist you are, no one wants to arrive at the point where they think they're a meaningless machine with no hope but to be destroyed forever. Everyone wants meaning. Everyone wants it to be important. Everyone does. And that's because God put it in us because he created us in his image. But the preacher first looks at this pursuit for the search of meaning. And he says, this search is troubling. B, the search is empty. Notice what he says. After he considers all this, he says in verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is what? Vanity. Vanity worthless pointless he says and a striving after wind he says behold so he says take note look here's what I've arrived at from my test to see if I could find meaning in life in this life under the sun he says it is vanity all of it is pointless there is nothing in it it is meaningless Remember, Solomon had more power than us, more wisdom than us, more wealth than us, more opportunities than us, and he finds no ultimate purpose under the sun. I don't know what makes you or me think we'd come across a different outcome. He had everything. He did the test for you to say, stop searching for it on your own. It's Vanity, And the preacher deduces from his vast wisdom and experiences that all is pointless under the sun. He wants us all to walk away understanding that if you're going to try and find meaning in this life apart from God, you will waste your life. You will waste it. I wish somebody would have told me that sooner. I wish I didn't have to wait till I was 18 to hear that and to finally get it. And there are people in your neighborhood who need to know that. There are people in my neighborhood who need to know. They're trying, and they're spinning, and they're toiling, and they're running on the hamster wheel, and it's not accomplishing what they're looking for. The search is empty, and I'm telling you, most of them, if they're being honest, will admit to you that's the case. If you'd asked me my freshman year of college, I'd have told you, yep, this is all meaningless, pointless. Pointless. And the preacher wants us to arrive there. Listen, don't get bummed out. Don't sit here and get long faces because in the end, the preacher is telling you this is what it is apart from God, not the way it is in every circumstance. So A, the search is troubling. B, the search is empty. And C, the search is frustrating. (laughs) Why is the search frustrating? Look what he says next. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Life is filled with so many unexpected twists and turns, we never understand everything that comes our way, do we? Ever. If you look at it, it looks like a bunch of crooked paths that you can't make go straight. They're just all over the place. When the preacher looks at meaning in life apart from God, he says it's a bunch of crooked paths and you can't do anything about it. It's frustrating. You don't know why every circumstance comes. You don't understand why you have to go through so many afflictions. You don't get why your family's suffering. You don't understand why the job is so terrible. You don't understand why your grandkids won't act right. You don't get it because it's all a bunch of crooked paths that you can't, as much as you try, can't make it straight. And it's frustrating. Anybody else ever been through that? Am I alone? I told you, I'll, be, I'll get done sooner. Not only that, but he says what is lacking cannot be counted. There is, let's, let's be honest. Everyone in the room, let's be honest. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how smart I am. There's a lot of stuff we just don't know. There are gaps everywhere. We, we try to figure it all out, but if we're being honest, there are gaps everywhere. What is lacking cannot even be counted. We don't even know where to start. We think we know everything. We don't even begin to understand how much we don't know. If we understood 10% of what goes on around us, that would be impressive. You're going to say, brother? Yeah. That's right. You, that's usually the mark that you don't know it all, right? The person who says, I know it all, is the person you know for sure doesn't. Like the people who say, Jesus is coming back on this date. Well, guess what? I know it's not that date. But if we're to be honest, this is what we all have to come to grips with. The smartest people in the world think they have figured everything out and they do not understand. They don't know Jack. Because the little minuscule part we can figure out is nothing in the grand scheme of what all knowledge is. And even Solomon, as wise as he was, had gaps. He did not understand everything. And he says, this is frustrating because there are crooked paths I can't make. He's the king. And he says, I can't make the crooked path straight. Even the king knows what it's like to not be able to fix everything. And he says, the gaps are too numerous to count. If he's at that, can't we all admit that today? We ain't got it figured out and we never will. And the whole point was not to figure it all out. The whole point was to trust the one who knows everything. But it's frustrating. That search is frustrating when you're trying to do it on your own. And this is why human wisdom will never satisfy you. Human wisdom will never answer all the questions. All my atheist friends who believe that they will somehow, by their rational thinking, arrive at conclusions that will be ultimate truth that they can rest on and that is beyond uh, anything else they could ever imagine, they cannot do that because reason, counting on reason to get you to ultimate purpose is fooling yourself. Because we don't know a fraction of what actually is, and yet we declare ourselves to be sufficient to find all encompassing meaning in life. Now that sounds silly. That's like your toddler coming up to you telling you they you, they figured out the meaning of life. You're a toddler. Listen, when I was to you, when I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything. You don't have to amend that. No, watch it. But when I was a teenager, I thought I knew everything, and so did you i talked to my parents like I knew what was going on. If I could go back there now, I'd slap myself. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no earthly clue, right? And even the smartest person in the world doesn't know a fraction of what God has created and knows. This is why we desperately need God. We need him to stoop to us because we could never get to him by our thinking. We need God to reveal himself to us. We need him to reveal who we really are. We need him to show us how needy we are. And this is why we need the word of God. This is why we need Jesus to come is because we needed God to do something for us because we could never get to him. We could never think enough to get to him. We could never reason enough to get to him. We could never do enough stuff on earth to get to him. He had to come to us. And aren't you glad that God knew that and sent his son anyways? We needed him. And he shows us in his word how badly we need him. The best thing God can do for me and you every day is to wake us up going, you need me. And I want you to notice what he says here as we finish. He said, I said in my heart, verse 16, I've acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I know it and I've experienced it. In verse 17, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this is also but a striving After wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more Solomon increased in wisdom and knowledge, the more he saw the pursuit of ultimate meaning apart from God was striving after wind. And it didn't just lead to frustration and emptiness, it led to increased grief and pain. Why would Solomon say his grief increased and his pain increased with the more knowledge and wisdom he had? Why? Why would that be something that would cause grief and pain? Why would having more knowledge and more wisdom cause grief and pain? You're more aware of what? Of what you don't know? know? That's a good way to put it. You're more aware of the fact that you don't know. The more wisdom you get, the more you go, I didn't know that yesterday. (laughs) What else don't I know? The state of sin that you live in. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you, let me ask you this, when you start checking off, right? If your goal is to test to see, can you find ultimate joy apart and meaning apart from God? And you start going through the list, right? I, I, I get in my mind, he made a list like, okay, try to see if horses will do it. Uh, see if uh, candy corn will make me happy. See if, uh, you know, a good steak will do it. You know, I'm, Candy corn obviously can't be it, so he marks that off. Um, but as you, right, as you begin to test this out, think of Solomon if he's testing this out and he, he starts going down the list. Okay, I tried that, didn't work. Tried that, didn't work. Tried that, didn't. Tried. What happens as you get further down that list? Oh man, none of these things are working. I don't think I'm going to find something that works. Grief, sorrow it gets to enter in because you start to see the deeper you go on the list happiness still isn't there meaning still isn't there and this is what happens to us when we try to find ultimate meaning in life apart from God every step down that path gets more and more sorrowful and more and more grief because we realize it's not working it's not working so here's what I think it points us to if you're going to jot down a quick little application here's what I want us to do I want you to notice we were not created to find purpose and meaning in life apart from God. We weren't created to find purpose and meaning in life apart from God. You were created by God to worship Him and find your purpose in Him. That's why you were created. You weren't created to go out on your own. You were created by God to worship Him and to find your purpose and meaning in Him. Number two, because of sin... We don't acknowledge our need for God. Because of sin, we're like Solomon, just trying to spin the wheels, trying to see if we can find it out for ourselves, trying to be our own king. And we don't acknowledge our need for God, and we don't acknowledge his loving rule over all creation. We believe we can actually achieve everything on our own. That's what sin is. Dependence on self instead of God. Number three... The search for meaning in life apart from God will only lead to despair, emptiness, and frustration. The search for meaning in life apart from God will only lead to despair, emptiness, and frustration. That's what the, that I believe God intended for me to hit that point when I was a freshman in college. I believe he intended to bring me to the point where I was empty and frustrated and despairing i tried it myself and it wasn't working thank god he did that number four we need an alien wisdom we need an alien wisdom that does not reside within us we need the wisdom that only comes from heaven above we need a wisdom that only comes from god james tells us that james in his book tells us that there's a difference between Earthly wisdom and heavenly, godly wisdom. And we need an alien wisdom, not from us, but from God. We need that. The Father gave us his only son as the perfect revelation of himself. Jesus was God's perfect gift to us. Because he was saying, you want to know who I am? You want to see me? Here you go. It's my son. And he did that so that we would see our hopeless estate apart from him. And he calls us to trust in his son, not ourselves. And then finally, if you're a Christian, in Christ we are given spiritual eyes to see that we might see our God-given purpose to glorify him in our enjoyment of him above all things. In Christ we are given spiritual eyes to see that we might see our God-given purpose To glorify Him in our enjoyment of Him above all things. What does God want to drive us to? Find your ultimate joy in Him. That's what He's doing in your life. That's what He's pointing you towards. Find your ultimate enjoyment in God. And if you find your ultimate enjoyment in God, guess what you're doing? You're glorifying Him. Because you're saying, God, you are the greatest joy I could ever have. So every day, God is pointing us back, find your joy in me, find your joy in me, find your joy in me, and that is how we glorify him. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, my urging to you is stop going after the Search for the meaning of life apart from God. Stop spinning the wheels and instead trust that in Christ God has done everything to point you back to himself, to rescue and redeem you, to give you spiritual eyes to see the purpose you have in God. And if you're a Christian this morning, I want to point you one more time to the fact that God created you to find his glory above all things, that you might enjoy him above all things, and that you might see The God-given purpose he has for your life. That these days are not pointless, amen? These days are not worthless. These days are not vanity. If you're in Christ, these days are days to glorify your father and find your ultimate joy in him. He promises you joy forevermore. Trust him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. That reminds us, God, that you are the one in which we will find ultimate joy. And God, we are so guilty many times, even as Christians, of chasing after other things, hoping that they will fulfill us more than you do. And God, I pray that once again you'll show us that we cannot do anything in this life apart from you that is worth anything. But in you, God, you provide ultimate meaning in all things that we're not marked by pointlessness, we're not marked by vanity, we're not marked by striving after wind, we are marked by giving glory to our Father who has shown himself to us, shown us our desperate need for him, and who has rescued us from the depths of our sin. God, to you alone be glory and honor. God, I pray this morning you'll help everyone in this room, including myself, to once again come face to face with your beauty. God, to see that while so much around us is toil, God, you provide ultimate meaning. Thank you for creating us in your image. Thank you for sending your son to die. Thank you for rescuing us, that we might live all of our days to your glory and honor. May we enjoy you to the full. God, I pray that you'll work in our hearts to root out sin, cause us to love you more. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.